Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 6.1. Today's guest is podcaster, writer, producer, and actor Sandy Chang. She hosts Now in Color, a podcast that brings those who have been erased from history back to the forefront. Her writing can be found in Bustle, Pop Sugar, and Hyphen Magazine. Her work strives to champion marginalized communities, women of color, and accessible mental health resources. Her show, Imposters, is currently in pre-production and set for production once it is safe to do so. In our previous episode 6, we had our conversation about art and finance. This is a bonus episode. The day we recorded was two days after George Floyd was killed, and we kept veering off topic to issues surrounding social justice. A lot has happened since then. The Black Lives Matter protests have expanded worldwide, and lawmakers have started to respond to people's efforts to change the systems of injustice. I've decided these conversations are worthwhile to publish. We don't cover everything, but do touch on important ideas. So I compiled all our miscellaneous side discussions and created this bonus episode. As always, thank you for listening, and please take a minute to rate and review our podcast to help us reach more listeners. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Sandy Chang, uh, I'm here to solve all your problems. Oh, so you're going to write the musical? (laughs) No, no, I have not a musical bone in my body. Um, I don't know how to read music, but I have writer friends who can totally do it for you and are great collaborators. The day you like come up with your story and you're like, this is the story I'd like to tell, I will connect you with these people and they will, they will, it'll be fine. Oh, that would be so fun. Yes, I would love that. That would be amazing. Because I always, I love musicals. I love Moulin Rouge. I mean, I didn't see that one yet, but I, growing up, that was my favorite movie was Moulin Rouge. Okay, listen to episode three and four of the Artistic Finance Podcast. See if you like what you hear with those. But the other thing is Chong writes music so that's right our mutual friend he could also do it awesome all right now i have to think about this and brainstorm some musicals (laughs) but yeah i do love musicals and that's what i love to experience but i also just love theater in general i just think um there's just something magical about theater um but i would really like to experience which is like totally not theater, is a Taylor Swift concert. That's like what I want to do. And everyone hates Taylor Swift. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be your best friend. I think we could be best friends. Nicole watches American Idol and they had the finale last week. After the finale, they played a Taylor Swift, her most recent concert, the the one she did in Paris. They filmed that oh, one. Oh, cool. And we watched it on TV. <laughs> It looks like so much fun. And the only reason I say that was because I watched uh, the one that's on Netflix. She like recorded one of her tours. And I was like, this is so fun. It looks like a blast. It's like glitter everywhere. Love it. Just enjoying life and pretending to be in a romance. What's your opinion on uh, Miley Cyrus? I feel like she went through a weird uh, cultural appropriation phase in her career. And when it no longer worked for her or when she was like, oh, I'm over it, uh, she became back to her, I guess, country ballad singing pop music phase. I think she's really talented. I think she has a fantastic voice. Um, But that era 
of like her being a little bit blackface, I want to say. I'm thinking specifically when she had like cornrows and it was just like a weird hip hop phase that I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a little racist. <laughs> I always say like, I'd love to be born 50 years from now, because by that point, we've got to have figured out some of this racial gender issues. I hope so. I'm not as optimistic as you. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't have time. <laughs> I don't I don't think we're going to get there because in 2020, we're still not here. And um, it is the day after the Amy Cooper situation in Central Park. And she's someone who had a lot of power, is not a Trump supporter, but still knew exactly what she was doing to put a black man's life in danger. Just today, May 27, 2020, right now there's riots in Minneapolis. Well, did the video come out yesterday or did it happen yesterday where a guy named George Floyd was killed by the police? Yeah, I think the video came out yesterday. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, really bad. Like a five minute long video where he's suffocating to death at the hands of white police officers, a black man suffering for five minutes. And a bunch of people in the video say, stop it. Stop doing that. And they still kill the guy. Yeah, it's horrific. And then just a couple months ago, it was Amand Arbery who just went jogging and white people just come out with a shotgun and shoot the guy. And then that thing yesterday of a, a white person calling cops on the on a black person just for bird watching or for asking her to put her dog on a leash that she then started choking. Right. Uh, yeah. So May 27, 2020. Very good uh, podcast so far. <laughs> This is like, so I'm sorry for your listeners. We're like getting deep into the depressing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you for letting me like talk all this through. Yeah, of course. And especially because I laugh a lot and it's not because I think any of this is funny, but it's just a way to deal with it because I don't know how else. Yeah, it's really hard to talk about. And like, I also laugh. It's a lot of deflecting. That's why I was like, I'm going to do comedy forever. And then <laughs> uh, my acting teachers were like, let's never do that so we can dig deep into rage and devastation for the drama for theater <laughs> okay and also this is artistic finance podcast but stop listening to this podcast and go listen to sandy chang's podcast now in color because it is so good and i'm now going to give you a five minute infomercial of that podcast <laughs> amazing yay free marketing <laughs> okay so here's what it is so because I've found out about you and I love your podcast. And by the way, have you heard of a podcast called Feminist Popcorn? No, I haven't. That sounds good. It's really good. They only did one season, 16 episodes. But what they do is they cover three movies in each episode. And they, they have criteria for their movies. Like it has to be a woman lead and it has to be a strong woman and all sorts of things. And so they go three movies and they walk through it like from a feminist perspective. Like, OK, so this was clearly directed by a man. If it had been directed by a woman or et cetera, et cetera, or if the patriarchy wasn't here and the, we had a matriarchy, this is how it would be different. So that podcast is really good. Just listening to them go through all this, like opened my eyes and opened my ears and gave me vocabulary and a way of talking about things where I wouldn't just embarrass myself. It like actually helped me be like, oh, OK, so when I say these things that I don't even realize are sexist. So that's a side note on that podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely listen to that because I think you're right. A lot of it isn't like blatant sexism or blatant racism. Now it's a lot of insidious like microaggressions that make you question your sanity a little bit. Like, am I if you're a woman, it's mostly like, am I being emotional or am I like not being reasonable about this but I feel angry but they're being so calm it's like a whole cycle 
it's exactly not to go back to Amy Cooper, but let's use that as an example. But it is like a lot of like the coded terms because she takes out her phone and she says nothing she says is blatantly racist, but it's in the way she presented it. Like, I am going to call the cops and tell them an African-American man, and he could not be African-American, first of all, (laughs) is attacking me. And it's just like in the way you say it. And like, it's all of these like, I guess, yeah, it's like very coded terms. For example, with Asian-Americans is like, oh, like you're so quiet or oh you're so cute and especially if you're like an Asian American woman and that's like a lot of the microaggressions which is like it's not bad per se but it's not like you just flat out said the n-word or something like that right okay all right we're learning things i'm learning things yes (laughs) (laughs) although although i will say your podcast is now two years old and so i'm learning things from two years ago that like I should have known two years ago, but I now am just learning it in May 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like we're all always learning things. I'm always learning things. I mean, I also would like to say the Asian American community, um, not that I speak for them all, but, you know, we also have so much to learn in terms of race relations, especially with the black community as well. So it's all a learning process. Okay, so now to continue on for this infomercial for Now in Color, the greatest podcast ever invented. Oh, thank you. And you have two seasons. You've started a third season recently, right? Yes. Yeah, started a third season. So I've listened to maybe 10 of your episodes. I'm working my way through them. Everyone is so good. Um, so I'm going to tell you the five things that I have learned from just listening to 10 of your podcasts. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number one, spam the meat in a can is sort of a staple of Asian cuisine. Yeah. Um, if this quarantine ever ends, go to K-Town and they definitely have spam filled meals. And it's really quite good. Amazing. Okay. Second thing I learned, the first person to die in the American Revolution was Black and Native American at the Boston Massacre. Crispus Attucks, right? <laughs> I'm like, did I remember my own podcast? Yes, Crispus Attucks. So he's one of five people shot at the Boston Massacre, which my assumption was just, oh, Boston, that was five white people that they shot. Yeah, I also thought that. I thought there were like no black people like in or Chinese people. I was like, it was just like white 13 colonies. So third thing I learned, I didn't actually learn this. There was a time in the United States before we were actually country where black people owned black slaves and and sued the government to like get their slaves back it's all that assimilation (laughs) uh fourth thing i learned from now in color the amazing podcast the yo-yo was invented by a filipino i also did not know that number five thing i learned if you're a minority but even if you're not anytime you're dealing with the police record everything Mm. and communicate what you're doing. Like if you're reaching into your bag for something, say I'm reaching into my bag for this. You just have to in the United States. So sad. Okay. So those are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ended on a sad note. Those are the five things that I've learned so far from Now in Color, the amazing podcast. Yay. Thank you. And you can listen to it anywhere you get podcasts. So I sort of stick to money and talking about money. You you can't tell that from how we've talked so far. Um, so far, the artists I have interviewed have all been liberal because artists are liberal, period. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. People have told me, because of comments my guests have made, like, Ethan, you can't be so political on your podcast. Well, I'm just going to address those people now. If you are an artist, art is, by its nature, political. 
And if it's not, you're upholding the status quo. So think about that. Think about what we're upholding here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, another political thing I just remembered, too. I don't know if you're following this. Hong Kong being taken back by China. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the protests are starting back up. Like, what is going on in the world? I don't know. But it's also very... So my parents are from Taiwan. um, And my grandparents were... um, refugees from China during the Cultural Revolution. Um, So I feel like I've always been more pro-Taiwan independence. And I don't want to like speak out of turn because I don't really know the politics of Taiwan. But like from what I've read, I'm like, oh, it sounds like that's something I would align with if I were living in Taiwan. And weirdly enough, now my parents are super pro-China. And I'm like, huh, weird. So I have not even looked into like the thing with Hong Kong because I'm sure it's somewhat similar to Taiwan, maybe, but I don't think so because Hong Kong was taken, was given back, quote unquote, to China during 1998 from the British. It's hard to say because I'm not there on the ground, but I will always be on the side of uh, protesters, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Not COVID protesters, but, you know, those protesters who have, like, really are trying to fight for their independence. Right, yeah. I sort of think the same thing. I am not the person to go out and protest myself, though. And this is something I sort of struggle with myself, being like, Ethan, why are you not going out there? I mean, I used to be such a I guess protester um but I think it was actually the women's march where I decided I'm no longer interested in it I think it's because the women's march was very disillusioning for me because it was clear to me that like this was considered a peaceful protest quote unquote because it was largely with white women and white liberals yeah I want to say and it was very like exclusionary at least the protest I went to was exclusionary of people of color. And also I felt of trans people as well, because pussy hat symbol, I was just like, I'm not really into this, where this conversation is going. Like, just because you have a pussy does not mean you are a woman. That doesn't translate. Yeah. But yeah, it was like a whole thing. And like, after being quite active with Black Lives Matter too, I just felt like there is a clear difference. Like there the police reaction was much more violent than it was with the women's march. Right. Big time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another thing I love about your podcast. Sometimes they'll have people on CNN that like talk about racism or the issues going on, like with this Minneapolis thing, they're going to cover it. But like they talk for like a minute and then it's over. And your podcast actually goes for like an hour or so. And it's uninterrupted. You guys address the complexity of all these issues. Like it's never just black and white. Yeah, it is. There's so much nuance to it. And I think it's okay to not protest either and to find other ways to make progress. Because I think at the end of the day, protesting isn't really doing... I think we need to protest on the scale of Hong Kong protesting and South Korea protesting. Like there needs to be that level of protest for any change. But I feel like for the most part, Americans are a little bit too individualistic, too complacent. And even with COVID, you can see it's like this idea of exceptional American exceptionalism. Like it could never happen to me. Like we all thought that this virus could never come here and we would be in lockdown for so long. Yeah, I can agree with the individualism. The reality is I only have so much time in a day. I only have so much energy. But what I can do, what I can control is me. Yeah, it's important to try to just be a better human, to be a decent human. Um, It's not that hard, but people make it very hard for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's all based off of fear. And I think in 
the U.S. there is so much fear. And I think I mentioned this a few times on my podcast, too. I was like, I think uh, we are a cursed land because the indigenous people have cursed this land because of what Americans have done to them. And I'm like, and we fully deserve it. Okay, this is a little thought exercise. So many atrocities done in our country's history by white people. Who have they done the most damage to? Because it's like African-Americans, well, we totally just stole them, brought them here and ruined their lives and then mistreated them. And continue to. And continue to. Asian people came of their own accord, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Majority came of their own accord. And we've mistreated them. Native American people were here. And man, did we mistreat them. Which ones have we done the most damage to? No one would ever know. And I don't want to know the answer. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, it's just there is no there's no room for oppression. Olympics. It's all horrible. And it's all yeah, it's all it, it continues to have consequences today. The more people who confront the fact that there were consequences to colonialism, I think we could move forward. But I think uh, currently our culture is so afraid of sitting with discomfort and hard conversations that it's really hard to progress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that was my infomercial for Now in Color, the amazing podcast. Thank you. One more thing before we get to the talking about art and finance, (laughs) (laughs) which all the atrocities done to humans in this country's past and still going on, I could easily relate them to money. Oh, yeah. It's always about money. Capitalism. So we say it's political or whatever, but trust me, if, if minorities had more money or if things were more equal, it would help solve some of the problems we have today. Yes, I agree. It's all against capitalism, in my opinion. Yeah. So all these tangents now. Now we're going to talk about finance. <laughs> um, oh, wait, one more question, which I noticed that in your bio, you said you like your podcast focuses on people of like minorities. And then it said women, but the E in women was an X. Yeah, um, it was mostly to acknowledge that w- women can also mean trans women as well. And that there isn't one type of woman. OK, so how would I say that? verbally i would just say women you just say women but when you write you put an x there yes just to because there's so much at least now like even with someone like jk rowling who needs to like stop using twitter or something like that she says things that are so transphobic that i'm like i you know i grew up on harry potter and you're making me hate this franchise that like helped me you know in difficult times You know, I think she calls herself, she's a feminist, she's for women's rights, but when it comes to trans women, she's obviously against trans women. And and I think there just needs to be more dialogue about transphobia and like why that is. Yeah. Um, Okay, so then question like Latina, Mm -hmm. putting an X in in place of the A, the final A. Do you say Latin X? Yeah, I've been saying... Latin X, right? Latin X. Latin X. But... Recently, someone told me that that wasn't the correct term either. So now I'm like, oh, I need to re-research more and see like what is appropriate. Um, okay, because the only one I like is folks, F-O-L-X. Yeah. Because <laughs> that one like works, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to go with the X's written and I'm going to skip it verbally. Yeah. I mean, we're all learning. Like I only recently started putting pronouns in my signature because I've been seeing other people do it. And I'm like, oh, like maybe that's something I should, you know, get in the habit of. Because I think even a few years ago, like it was so hard for me to use the they them pronoun when I'm like, it's really not that like now I'm like, it's 
not that hard, you know, but like at the time I was just like the grammar was not even though it is grammatically corrupt. It was just like mental gymnastics I was making with myself, like kind of what you were saying of like getting defensive. And I think it's just because like I came from a place where I never encountered the they them pronoun and I was like I don't understand it um I can't even imagine because like I you know being someone who fights against anti-racism I can only imagine what it what it feels like to be you know a trans person and trying to fight for your identity and humanity in that way where so many people are automatically against you for you know because they don't understand and because there's so much fear attached to it and they think you know you're not like for example if you're friend you know came out and you're like oh but you know there's like this whole thing that happens where it's like is it still them you know things like that but I think once you realize that that is who they were always meant to be that is the most beautiful part about it is like they're actually finally becoming a hundred percent who they are and that's liberating and wonderful yeah it's an important conversation to be had and i appreciate people putting them on their signature block because to me it's like wearing a a mask out in public you're not necessarily doing it for yourself and you're not necessarily even doing it for your health but you're doing it out of respect for everybody around you and the society that you live in to say look we're all in this together we're all doing it and we're all going to try to keep everybody safe that's what it is to me Yeah, I think if more people started doing that and started acknowledging pronouns, it will just become like kind of like what I was saying, how using the they, them, their pronoun just years ago was like so hard for me. Like I would have to think about like, okay, so they they are now a they, so they, this, and it should just, it just takes practice. Like it's just like everything, anti-racism, anti-sexism, it's all practicing um, because we're all by nature flawed humans and you know using the reptilian brain most of the time yeah growing up you could say gay as like an insult to somebody yeah that was beat not beaten that sounds horrible but i remember so specifically it was in high school there was a math class that i had and like some dude was you know used it in the way that was like oh that's so gay or whatever and uh I think the teacher, she like overheard it and she stopped the entire class and like screamed at us to never say things like that. And from then on, I just like never did it because I was like, I don't want to be screamed at. But yeah. In 2012, somebody they were ranting like, I can't believe that person said that or thinks it's okay to say it. I came to the defense of that person and I said, hey, look where I'm from. Everybody says that it's a thing. And like, even though I myself don't say it, they didn't mean any harm. And I got into this argument where I was wrong. And I I knew I was wrong in the argument, but I still was like defending this long after I should have known better and just said, like, you're right. You are totally right. We shouldn't be using that. doesn't matter what the situation, even if I didn't mean to be harmful, I should acknowledge and stop using it. But I got defensive. Yeah, I, I don't really understand the defensiveness response, but it's happened so many times that I've decided that, you know, it's like, it's not my place to educate white people anymore. I'm just like, okay, I'm not gonna do it anymore. And, you know, and there are resources out there. I think our, as in people of color, our new response is like, well, you can also go Google it and research it on your own and read some books. There's resources like at your fingertips all the time. And to also know that we're all learning, like everyone is learning because you can't be a perfect person and like anti-racism takes so much work and it's a daily activity because we're human. We all have inherent bias and we all think things that may be wrong and prejudice. 
I don't educate people anymore. I'm like, I've decided to take that burden out of my life because I felt like I was doing so much work with like trying to educate mostly white people about anti-racism that I'm just like, I think it's just, it was weighing down on me so much because it usually the response is defensiveness, like you were saying, and it just made me so angry. And I'm just like, I'm trying to hope you be a better human, like, so we can all be, so we can all coexist peacefully. But yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So because of pandemic, I'm rereading the Harry Potter series. What's driving me crazy in the books now is they always go for Christmas break mm-hmm. and there's like no acknowledgement of any other holidays. And I understand that's like either how she grew up or that's the world she knows or that's the world she's wanting to paint. But it just drives me a little crazy. Yeah. Because I just want it to be like magic day, not related to any religion. <laughs> I know she's there is. I mean, I think as we're rereading it, there there were a lot of issues as like Cho Chang for one. <laughs> Um, not being a real Chinese or Korean. I don't even know where, what Asian she was, honestly. Okay. I actually thought of that. I bet that name is racist somehow. Like (laughs) it's super racist. (laughs) And the fact that she's like in Ravenclaw, the smart house. And I'm just like, oh no. Cause I was thinking it would be really interesting if like Cedric Diggory, for example, was, if they like did a recast, like I, and it was like, you know, a Henry Golding type of actor who was, you know, an Asian man. Um, it would be interesting to see more people of color in Hogwarts. Right, right. Growing up in Missouri, there was an Indian population. There was uh, an Asian population. There was an African-American population. Where I was, the suburb where I was, it was all white. We would do plays or musicals, but inevitably there's a character that is not white, but there's nobody of that color to play. In a politically correct world, people would acknowledge the fact that like we shouldn't do that play, but it's like a good story. So like not have this show be in Missouri. I I don't know what I'm saying. No, I understand what you're saying, but also we need to think about like, why is that particular place not as diverse? Like where, like, why aren't there more students of color? And like, maybe think deeper about like the systems that like made it so because segregation was definitely a thing um and continues to be even in new york city so npr had a story uh because of the pandemic um redrawing like school districts come on it's 2020 yeah and i will argue that socioeconomic status and race are very closely tied at least in this country absolutely So here, see, this is how I like just spiral down into depression. I mean, it doesn't have to be a spiral. Like the more you know, once you acknowledge it, it's like, okay, how can I move forward and try to make it better and be better as a person too? Just having the conversations are important. Yeah, definitely. Maybe your listeners need to have this hard listen of politics and race and money. All of this ties together. Yeah, I even have problems at times talking to my friends who are progressive people and who are well-educated and things like that. But when they hold on to a certain narrative in their head, it's really hard to argue against that. I don't really identify as liberal anymore and more towards like leftist, I guess. But then I know there are so many issues with leftists at the moment 
too. So I'm like, I'm just progressive, <laughs> you know, just a blanket vague term. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, OK, Biden is progressive. Bernie is progressive. Jill Stein is progressive. They're very different, though. Yeah, exactly. OK, so Andrew Yang, like when he was running, everybody was like, this guy is crazy. Nicole and I were actually sort of like, well, we sort of like this guy. <laughs> like, oh, man, I have a whole thing with Andrew Yang. <laughs> He was like, I want to give everybody a thousand dollars. And I'm also a big fan of this MMT thing. What's MMT? What does that stand for? Modern monetary theory. Mm -hmm. So I need to have somebody on the podcast to explain it because it's a whole complicated thing. But moral of the story is universal basic income, stuff like that. So anyway, so Andrew Yang comes into the running from my point of view, just to sort of push this idea of uni universal basic income, which he did. He got it, you know, out there in the public's eye. So then he goes away and everyone's like, yeah, he was just in it to do that. Blah, 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 whatever. Crazy guy. Then this pandemic hits. What is the government? government do let's give everybody a thousand dollars is nobody seeing that he just said that and was like this outlandish crazy idea and then a republican president just gave everybody a thousand dollars like does nobody see that yeah i mean andrew yang definitely had some great ideas um and i really i really appreciated he was talking about automation because it's happening and it, we're going to lose a lot of jobs from automation. And I'm glad he was the one candidate that talked about it and talked about how there is so much tech in the future that there won't be truck drivers anymore or even grocery store workers for that matter. Just like it's going to be all automated. And I think even during this pandemic, it's going to push us towards the future faster than we thought we would be. So I'm glad that there is talk about universal basic income and things like that. But um I didn't like him because he made too many Asian jokes on the stage. And I was like, don't, don't do that. And kind of like played into the model minority myth, even if that was not his intention, but he does it. He made a comment about like how his parents were good immigrants. And I'm like, well, what makes a good immigrant versus a bad immigrant? So he just had a lot, I think, to learn. <laughs> the, the only bad immigrant to me is like somebody who murders somebody. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Any human who goes and murders a human is a bad person. Yeah, so yeah, that's a whole other topic. And do we not know that borders are like imaginary lines, like completely imaginary? Yeah, it's a whole thing. We should start a podcast where we're just going to restart this utopian world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be a part of it. I say everything wrong. You can't have me on your podcast because it will have zero legitimacy. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's just, I, it's not, that, that's another thing that people always say too of like, oh, well, because I'm white, I'm like not allowed to say anything. But no, it's not that. Just like find ways to educate yourself and find resources because we've had to do that too. And because I definitely have fallen into the model minority myth and have thought problematic things before when I was younger. It all takes research and education and just learning. Take time to read research and that's all you can do. That's all we can that's all we can do. Okay, so now back to the finance. <laughs> oh yeah, back to finance. This is a finance podcast. You're a very nice, kind person. Like you don't say mean things from what I can tell. You would be surprised. <laughs> There are people. Well, it's like, it's complicated. It's like, uh, I wrote this article about interracial relationships because I'm in one. And I got like a ton of hate for it from like uh, the men's rights groups. <laughs> so it's like not, it does not even matter. <laughs> I love that you just said men's rights groups. Like that's a new phrase to me. Like that exists. It does. It's very strange. <laughs> and, and they... 
they come out of the woodworks just like every once in a while to like spam me. And I'm just like, what is this? What did I do? Yeah, it's the the incel community. Incels. It's short for involuntarily celibate. It's not that they, it's like they want to have sex, but like women hate them, which is not true. They're just, it's like they think they have the right to have sex with a woman and they're like super, they're, it's like really weird. And I've definitely found my name pop up in these like subreddits where I'm oh like, oh my goodness, I don't even know these people. So yeah, there's people out there who definitely hate me. And I do get kind of freaked out at times because I'm like, Twitter especially is so, they're so good at investigating people that like one day I'm like a little afraid one of these crazy people might like show up on my doorstep. So far it has not happened. Right. Oh my gosh. And here I was worried earlier about talking about Hong Kong and your parents from Taiwan. And I was like, Ooh, I hope I don't have to like edit any of that. seems like you're in more hot water than I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Golly. Yeah. That is so weird. Not to get sad again, but there was the, the shooting in UC Santa Barbara a few years ago. So Elliot Rogers is, was the shooter and he is now like a God for these incels. And a lot of them have taken like his whole manifesto, which he like posted all over YouTube was like, you know, women don't like me or they don't love me. So they deserve to die. That was like his whole thinking. Now, a lot of incels are like taking his manifesto. And like, I think just even last week, there was an incel attack, I think in Canada. But there was also one in New York City a few years ago, too, with like a truck that ran over a few people. And it was like incel inspired so there are definitely like a lot of shootings and attacks unfortunately that are born from this idea that because women won't have sex with them they are somehow justified this violence wow um i I now remember that that's where i learned that word was from that santa barbara shooting because i was like i know that word (laughs) (laughs) yeah um okay well that what a positive note to end this on (laughs) Um, okay, one one last question. Where can people find out more about you? You can follow me on Instagram. I am at Sandy Pants, S-A-N-D-I-E-P-A-N-T-S-S. I'm also on Twitter, which is also Sandy Pants without the extra S in the end. But I think if you want like a tamer version of me, probably follow me on Instagram where I don't post as much. And on Twitter, I just talk a lot of shit. So be careful. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, the Now in Color podcast, which is like, I can't recommend it enough. It's just so, so good. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. Now in Color. Uh, We are also, it's called Now in Color podcast on Instagram. So you can follow us there too. And anywhere you get podcasts, subscribe, rate. (laughs) Um, Okay, Sandy, thank you so much for talking to us. Yes, Thank you so much for having me and having such a fun conversation. There was definitely a lot of flow to it. I loved it. That was our interview with Sandy Chang. My social justice takeaways were, all of us are always learning. Don't let your ignorance of a topic make you afraid to discuss it. If you are afraid, use that fear as an opportunity to educate yourself because conversations are necessary. Art is by its nature political. And if it's not, you're upholding the status quo. There is no room for the oppression Olympics. Thank you again to Sandy for a friendly and open conversation. It is imperative to educate ourselves and create a societal system that provides equity for everyone. Check out our website, artisticfinance.com, for links to activism resources for the topics we discussed.
That's it for today's bonus episode. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu. Music